my life has been just one absurdity after another, I think. And I, like I said, I just, that was just, it was normal to me. So I never, I never really thought about it much. I was like, that's just, that's just how life is. Like you just have absurd shit happen to you and then you deal with it. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. happening i am mal foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favorite above average but infinitely curious podcast dimed out a show dedicated to exploring both the mysteries and the meaning of life an audio kaleidoscope of culture experience and something else what is it oh yeah stuff This week's episode, we have a real eclectic mix of stuff for you, as I had the utmost pleasure and privilege to talk to Rick from 5011 Media. Me and Rick got linked up via the power of Reddit. I mean, that thing is just, it's a gift that keeps on giving, is Reddit, I'll be honest. So yeah, we're about to dive into a really multi-layered, multifaceted conversation that kind of goes from a number of places, but there's a lot in here. You know, to, to put it mildly, Rick has lived a hell of a life and we are just scratching the surface. But some of the things you can expect to hear in this episode, what this episode is kind of focusing on, is Rick's time in the military. That's where we start. And then we go into his time working as an EMT. The, the things that he took from that, some of the traumatic experiences that he took from that, the reasons why he had to leave that. And then we get into a real pivotal turning point within Rick's life where he discovered and started going into ketamine infusion therapy. We look at how he found that, what it's done for him, the benefits, and how that has kind of led him into creating art, how that has opened up a personal door for him, and how that door, that artwork, is now opening doors for other people as well. Yeah, we're kind of going all over the place, and tonally, it shifts a lot. You know, obviously there are moments where there is some, some serious discussion, but there's also moments of levity and uh, a brief inclusion of the one, the only, Harry Belafonte. How that actually plays out, how that mixes in with all the other things we're going to be talking about, well, yeah, you just got to listen and find out. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave you on the cliff edge of that particular tease. And without further ado, let's jump in the line and let's get into it. This is my multifaceted conversation with the fascinating Rick from 5011 Media. Enjoy, guys, and I will see you on the other side. I feel like my life is like Forrest Gump meets Joe Dirt. (laughs) Uh, It's it's really hard to explain, but I mean, I've done a lot of different things Mm. and a lot of things that, you know, from year to year contradict each other. So I don't have just a one side view of things like, so in 2005, I went to an anti-war rally in Washington, DC. And then literally the next year I joined the military. So. Wow. What, what happened there? What kind of 
prompted that sort of switch of mindset? Uh, well, I had just, I had reached a point where I realized that I was 20. I had no prospects as far as a job, a future, anything. I didn't even have, I didn't even graduate. I dropped out of high school, didn't have a GED, nothing. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm, I'm just being, just existing at this point. And right. I had realized that in order for me to not do that, I had to leave. I had to leave my hometown. Like I had to get away from yeah. it because there was no way that I was going to be able to fix anything or change anything about myself with the same mm-hmm. surroundings. And at that time, I mean, I'm 20, I'm working dead end jobs until I quit. So I don't have any means to get away. Right. But the army, the army has a means. So I found a recruiter and told him that I wanted to join. That was in July. I shipped out like November that year. What did, what did you ship out to? Uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. I went infantry. So anybody that goes in the military and the army will go mm-hmm. to Fort Benning if they go into infantry. Okay. Wow. So how, how long were you in that for? Like, how long was that part of your life? It was about a year. I ended up getting a medical discharge due to uh, anxiety issues, which at the time, there was no way that I was ever going to comprehend because I had a lot of childhood trauma that had never been fully dealt with and more. I built an ego up around myself to protect myself from it. So that, you know, was affecting everything else in my life, Yeah, but without me realizing it. So right. um, I got out of the military in I think, late 2007, 2008. And from there, I kind of bummed around for a little bit, but at this point, like I had gotten my GED, so I was able to join the military. So I had that going for me at this point. And did you feel like you'd you'd moved ahead? So beforehand, did you you kind of came to that sort of very clear realization that you need to get out of your surroundings to kind yeah. of move forward. Do you feel like that actually helped you push forward? Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, my time no matter how long or short it was in the military, played a very pivotal part in my life. Mm-hmm. Growing, with, growing up without a father, being a, you know, one of the original latchkey kids in America, I didn't have much structure or discipline. So what I lacked growing up, I, I got a really fast, hard <laughs> injection know. of discipline. And because I didn't, growing up, I didn't have, like a role model to instill these things. I mean, I didn't have like these values. I didn't have these core beliefs or anything. Like I was just, you know, just whatever, man, I got whatever. Yeah. So that I think for the most part, I think that is what really structured my, my framework for becoming an adult. So you get out of the military. What is sort of the next major point that you arrive to or get to? So I uh, I dated a I dated a girl for a while that did not live in my home city. Mm-hmm. Um, she lived about two hours away, and so our, I had a relationship with her for about a year, and it was failing. And that's when she was like, "Hey, you gotta you know get into school for something and get your shit together." And right. so uh, like the quickest way for me to figure out to get my shit together, I was working as a security guard, and I had saw a couple of um, firefighter like paramedics or EMTs and they were 
doing a standby and I was talking to them about how to, you know, how do I get into this gig? Cause you guys are just like shooting the shit, man. So they, uh, they got me in touch with the ambulance service the, for the city I live in or I lived in at the time. And they had a, an accelerated course. So I had applied for that and got in and it was like seven weeks. And then I would come out in EMT. And I thought that was hot shit. I was like, Oh man, I'm going to be an EMT. So the relationship, uh, never, never fully recovered. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think that's because now she's real into women. Oh yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no fault of my own, I guess, but I mean, maybe some I'll take responsibility, but I wasn't the greatest person, but I'm working on that now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it was about, what it was about EMS. I don't know. I guess it just fed the beast, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Cause I was, I'm, I was already damaged from the childhood trauma that I, like my dad was, no, I wasn't like physically abused, but there was a lot of mental and emotional abuse and right. neglect. I, and I was going to ask about that because I, I want you to be as comfortable to talk about it as as possible. So I can at this point. I well, I mean, there's just so much of it. It's hard to right. Like when you start to try like chronologically lay it out, you're like, ah, fucking god! Like how many lives have I lived? Right. Um, growing up, it was me, my mom, and my dad, and things. I assume things were good, right? Because uh, I do have, I do have good memories. But as far as like my father goes, he his his mom died like when I was four. So after that is when he just like started drinking real heavy and getting into drugs, and hmm. and then it just became like a real big ordeal where he would use me to manipulate my mother to get his way because he was a shitty person. Yeah. And but he knew that I needed and wanted his attention mm-hmm. so bad that like I mean I didn't care what we did when we hung out. Right. So like he would use me to commit petty crimes sometimes. Like one time we stole a boat. Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's that's a, another you know twenty minute story. During that time in my life, I was living with my mom, and then my mom was divorced from my father. And him and his girlfriend and her kids also live with me and my mom. Like, like what the, how was I ever going to have a chance of being fucking normal in that? Yeah. Right? yeah. That's a, that's a unique situation to put it mildly. Right. And, and so try to like, imagine being six and realizing that none of this is normal. Holy shit. Like, you know, when you, you say something, that is very unique to like I said, I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember that it was something very unique to just my family dynamic. And I just the way that somebody looked at me when I said it, I was like, oh. So in your perspective, like a six-year-old framing, that's just how things were. And then it's the reaction of somebody else when you've told them that kind of shatters that and is like, oh, maybe it's not. Right. I think that experience just in itself, I think, really resonated with me and and, mm. and opened me up to being a lot more perceptive of the world around me. Because right. at that point, like, that's all I knew. Like, I was like, this isn't messed up. Like, this is, isn't all, aren't all families like? Yeah, but I suppose that's just because of the age that you're at. You know, when you're at that age, you're still forming what is, like, quote unquote normal what is regular what is you know the standard framework for the rest of the world so yeah at that age you just 
you are very insular, so it's completely understandable why you wouldn't question it. Yeah, and and then and then just when a child like when it's like finding out Santa Claus isn't real, it's like holy, right. oh my god! Like my family's like, oh my god, I'm white trash. So I grew up relatively poor, not super poor, and and that's another weird thing to think about because I I grew up like single income. My mom was a single mother pretty much, and. I mean, my dad was there, but it was only due to, like, the need. That was, like, how my mom was able to make sure that Child Protective Services didn't come and get me. Because back in the 90s, it was like, is there an adult in the house? It's like, yeah. Like, well, why are you calling us for then? It wasn't like, well, what is that adult doing? Because my dad would fall asleep with cigarettes in his mouth, like, after taking a handful of Xanax. And I would have to go over there and pick the cigarette out of his hand to make sure he didn't burn the fucking house down. Yeah. So. But as long as CP, the only thing CPS cared about was, was there an adult in the house? And right, they didn't care what the adult was aging, yeah. just as long as there's one present. Yeah, yeah. My life has been just one absurdity after another. I think, <laughs> and I, like I said, I just that was just it was normal to me. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never really thought about it much it was like that's just that's just how life is like you just have absurd shit happen to you and then you deal with it but and then i started so i started telling whenever i started to kind of get out into the world and through working with ems and then eventually like i i contracted overseas in afghanistan for about six months in 2011 and just i never I don't know if it was that I was running from something or I was trying to run to something. If I was motivated by fear or necessity, but I never allowed the possibility of something ending poorly affect my decisions on what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that like I started being like, man, life life sucks, like you know, but not all the time. And right. I don't know, with the the past two years have really kind of changed me in a lot of ways that I still am, I'm trying to figure out now, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to sort through. In in what way exactly do you, do you mean, is there a specific that you can kind of latch on to then? Um, just, uh, I've, my entire existence, who I am, and what I've been has kind of opened up for me due to um, starting ketamine treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into that. That was on my list. We will get there. Uh, that is definitely one of the points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd see, and that's, that's why it's, it's so hard for me to just, when somebody is like, hey, so tell me about yourself. It's like, which, <laughs> what, what, do you start? What, yeah, what, what lifetime here? Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, and and then like I've been looking into the other kind of uh, mental kind of dysfunctions, maybe I I don't know if that's the right word, but other different things about the way that my brain works, partic- in in particular, versus how other people's like due to how it developed and formed, mm-hmm. and it makes a lot more sense, and I feel that I I know myself a lot more in depth and I'm not pushing away and fighting with who I am anymore. 
Okay, well, that's a, well. First and foremost, that's an amazing thing to hear. You know, relative to to the fact that I really don't know you at all. I mean, it's just an amazing thing to hear that the fact that within two years you've, you've got to a place where you do feel like you can embrace yourself a little bit more. What I want to ask is, you mentioned and you touched upon the idea of of running away or running to something. Do you feel like in the last two years you've maybe stopped and given yourself time for yourself thoughts and your your understanding of yourself to kind of catch up? It, not the entire two years, but definitely everything that has happened in the two years mm-hmm. has definitely been leading up to this moment. So May of 2019, I was skateboarding. I actually have a video. If you have a website, I can send, I can email it to you. You can post it so that you can watch it. Where I broke both of my legs. I went up a ramp. My foot came off the board. One foot stayed on the board, and I did the splits and all the all of my weight went right onto my knees which caused my oh the bottom part of my left femur and then the top part of my right tibia to fracture due to the MCL ligament in both legs being ruptured so they were pulled to the point of fracturing my bones and then oh. they tore and and this is this is this is the incident that then led you I believe to retire from from working as a paramedic, right? Absolutely, right. So I did. I fell and I, I injured myself, mm-hmm. and I got up and I was able to walk right then. Um, there was, you know, a, a decent amount of pain, I would say, but I didn't feel. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I, there's something wrong with me. But I was like, I, I can walk this off. This is fine. Like this is just this is nothing. And so I skated for like another two hours before going home. And then I go home, um, you know, go to sleep, you know, do my thing, go to bed. And I'll wake up and I, I can't walk. Like, I can't, like, my, both of my knees have swollen up to the size of, like, softballs. And I'm unable to walk. So, like, I, I managed to get up and get to my car and drive myself to my, and make a doctor's appointment and, and drive myself to the doctor. And my doctor's like, I, you, we need to, get, you need to go be seen in the ER. It's like, Oh, yeah, okay. I eventually was, you know, bed-bound for six weeks before I was able to get up and walk again. Presumably, you you regained some sense of feeling in your legs to be able to get yourself to the hospital. Well, no, it wasn't that, like, I didn't have sensation. It was just that my, like, I could not, like, I couldn't bend my at the knee. Right, okay, you couldn't support your full weight through your legs. Yeah, it wasn't like a like a paralyzed thing. It was just that. Okay, the, right. <laughs> I was gonna say no, no, no. I I would I would have definitely called for an ambulance if that if I had woken up and my legs were paralyzed. But oh my god! So and then I was I used a walker for I think another another six to eight weeks after that. So and then I got to the point where I was able to walk again. It took I think another six months, six to eight six to eight months for me to to heal back to what my new normal was going to be. And the new normal was just it wasn't going to be good enough. Okay, I was going to say, so you, you got to a point, but it wasn't to where you were before, and that's what's kind of led you to having to to leave. Yeah, and it 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 became. I would I realized that I would be a detriment to my patient, as well right. as the job itself would be a detriment to my further health. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, for sure, because of the physicality involved in in that particular job. Yeah, and yeah, and I, and and that was. I mean, that was just one of the things that. I, I was, you know, trying to come to terms with that. I mean, it's just not a job that I will be able to do anymore. Right. And that was, that was a real hard 
that was a real hard pill to swallow for me because I was going to say because like from from what I can remember, you, you were doing that for twelve years. Is that right? Yeah, I've been doing it since two thousand. And, I mean, literally the basically my entire adult life, I've been an EMT or a paramedic because I started at the age of twenty three. Right. And you know, here I am, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know anything else. Like, literally, EMS is. I mean, that kind of, that, I, I can't transfer. I mean, I guess I could, but that's, that's another, a lot of other factors that played into that as well as just kind of removing myself entirely from the medical field. Right. Which, yeah, as, as you said, I mean, 12 years, your entire adult life, pretty much, that's, that's like a huge chunk of your identity. And not that we, we kind of should be attaching our whole selves to what it is that we do. But it is an integral part of who we become. So losing that, yeah, I can only imagine how difficult that must have been. And that, and I think that's why, also why I took, I, I did so well at it, and why I enjoyed it so much is because I, I was able to get, I was able to get that rush. I, you know, I was never like, I, in my younger years, like I would, you know, I did pills every once in a while, and I would smoke pot, and I smoke pot now. But like, I was never really into drugs or doing. Mm-hmm. anything like that but getting it in the ems that adrenaline that's i think that's that became a real addiction for me too yeah well i, I can definitely imagine that because you are thrown into into such unique situations and the rewards that come with with knowing that you're saving lives and that you're making a, a genuine difference to not just one person but numerous people that aspect of the job i think is where I tried to kind of mentally be. Mm-hmm. But like after, I think I'd been out for over a year, like almost a year and a half. Like I had been, and they had, like my job had, or my, the company or the ambulance service that I was working for had, you know, kept my job and I was keeping in contact with them. And it just, it became, it came to the point where, you know, it's just, it was time to let it go. So you, you were kind of holding on with the hope that eventually you will get to a point where you can go back. Yeah. And yeah. And I would be like, well, I can just do it part time or, you know, I just right. kept telling my thing, myself things like that. And it just holding on to that, I think, was doing more harm than than good at that point. So I think going ahead and just leaving EMS like it, it wasn't official retirement. It's just my, you know, my personal. I'm not getting any money from it, right? But it was just one of those. It's you, you coming to the realization that you just you just physically cannot do this anymore, right? And then how over the time of me of me being off um, off the ambulance, how much my mental health and my anxiety had improved, just with not having to constantly, you know, be subject it to that revolving door of traumatic experiences day in and day out are you saying that during your time as as a, as a paramedic that 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 revolving door was going round constantly oh yeah absolutely like i was that partly because of because of the job or oh no no yeah it was it was 100 percent connected to the job there's just there's things that you can experience as you know i mean many first responders can tell you that I, I cannot, I can't convey the the internal response that you have after being 
repetitively subjected to, you know, that over and over again. Like I've been able to discuss lunch with my partner while picking skull fragments out of the ceiling. And that's not, that's like not even being hyperbolic. That is legitimately part of one of the jobs that we do. Like when we do body removals of, you know, suicides, you know, part of our job is, is we, we have to collect all as much as we can. So, and it's just, it becomes so routine. It's like whatever anybody else does at their job. To throw us back a little bit, we were talking about the, the revolving door of, of just sort of anxiety with, with the job and what have you. And you said that after you'd come to the realization that you were no longer going to be doing that, that you kind of had a bit of a, a respite from that. Yeah. How, how was that? Is that just something, something that came naturally with not having to deal with some of the, the traumatic situations that you were talking about that come sort of part and parcel with that, that line of work? Yeah, it, it came with that. And then I was prescribed Xanax for my anxiety, for breakthrough anxiety and panic attacks, okay. as well as oxycodone 10 milligrams three times a day, which, I mean, between those two, I, I think I was maybe awake for 45 minutes at a time. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so eventually it just, it came to the point where I had to, I had to quit taking this stuff because it just it wasn't it wasn't helping as intended like you can't be anxious if you're not awake you can't hurt if you're not awake yeah but i don't like i'm just i I, so i stopped and i don't i don't advise anybody but i stopped doing them both of them uh i was on i've been on the on the prescriptions annex for i think it was a couple years at that point but the the pain medicine the 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 oxycodone I was on for I think three or four months and I just I quit everything cold turkey and started smoking pot how was that transition for you in in terms of like your general well-being with the being awake more more energetic more I mean just alive really so yeah there was that and then the creative spark from the marijuana and back then I had a note with the the ink pen and I had started doing some doodles and, and some art pieces on that, but nothing, nowhere to the scale of what I've been doing in the past couple of months. And is this, is this the first time that you'd kind of tried your hand? uh, uh, As you say, you're starting off with doodles. Is this something that you've done before in the past and have just picked up again? Or has this been like a constant in the background somewhere? Oh no, this, I, I think this, here in the past, like maybe year or two, I had just recently started picking up art, and that was post EMS. Like I, it's it's been after mm-hmm. my injury, whenever I was taken out. I think that uh, just being able to have a little bit more of that mental space, right, freed up from not having to do the you know deal with constant trauma, the daily trauma, that I was able to kind of redirect that to more creative endeavors and the. I think the the pot really helped out with that too. Did it did it help with the anxiety as well? As yes, well? yes, it very much does. It still does. The only I only take two medications prescription right now, and that's Adderall because uh, it legitimately makes me a more organized and collected person. Yeah, it just, just so, helps with your general thought pattern and correlation yeah. and workflow. Yeah, yeah, I, I get and it. I don't like I don't. There's nothing. Like, no, there's no alternative that I can, I mean, people can say, oh, you can do it yourself. It's like, no, it's, I need this. Like it, 
the way that my brain works I, and the way that I understand things and the way I, <laughs> that, that is a chemical that my body needs. Yeah. But other than that, and then I take an SSRI. What is that? Selective serotonin, re, serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So it's basically for depression, anxiety. Okay. And uh, so I take that and I take my Adderall. And then um, once a month, I will get a, um, I, think we're, I think I'm at 65 milligram uh, ketamine infusion. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good segue because that is definitely one of the talking points I wanted to cover. So how would you describe it exactly? So what is the procedure? Is it done intravenously? Well, so there's two different ways that they administer it at where I go. I I do the intravenous way, which is more expensive and not covered by insurance, mm-hmm. but it's the more effective, the faster, the faster kind of achieving yeah. therapeutic levels. Sure. Um, but no, so basically ketamine infusion is that they take a certain amount milligram based off of the individual's weight. And usually it's anywhere between half a milligram per kilo to a whole milligram per kilo. And they infuse it. Infusion just means a volume over time. So it, I think it's, they put it in a hundred CC syringe and then you, you go into this room and you can choose to have like, they have like these laser light show, like planetarium style laser light shows that play on the ceiling, a CBD infuser. You can choose your own music, like medical recliner. Like it's, it's a legit thing. I prefer to have all of the lights out and I bring my own like headphones and my, I listen to my own music, but. Just out of curiosity, what are you listening to? I actually have a, uh, a playlist on Spotify called Ketamine Jams that, and that's what I listen to. <laughs> so yeah. Right. Who, who's in there out of interest? Um, I don't know. Let me pull it out. <laughs> so this is like a side tangent, but I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. We'll, uh, I probably yeah. have a bunch of playlists myself, which would be uh, uh, ideal for this. <laughs> all right. So just, uh, I'm just going to read off probably the, the, <laughs> the funniest ones that would be on there. I've got uh, Africa by Toto. Oh, wow. That's an inspired choice. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's, that, that was the very first one that I added to that, by the way, also. Okay. <laughs> um, I've got some Pixies, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm a big Post Malone fan. Oh, okay. Uh, just recently, and my son is also huge into the post malone i've got some hollow notes classic yeah i've got a lot of uh i've got some local music from a couple of my friends band okay nice flaming lips good choice rick james gotta have that oh (laughs) what what rick james song have you got in there mary jane man that's like (laughs) mary jane like oh man that's great oh uh jump in the line uh, from Beetlejuice. Oh, Harry Belafonte. Yes. Oh Jeez. man. Wow. Yeah, I've got some deep cuts in here. Man. Yeah. You. You. <laughs> that is quite the eclectic uh, playlist you've got going on there. And any any time you can throw a bit of Harry Belafonte in a playlist, oh, I'm all about that. That's. I think that's probably the best song for the ketamine to start kicking into. It's always. <laughs> it's, yeah. When that hits, and and the ketamine hits right at that. Oh, it's. There's wow. no way to describe it. Wow. That's that's an experience I need to have in life right there. Yes. Everybody, I think everybody needs to have that experience collectively. <laughs> so how did you find out about this? How did this actually come into your path? I'm a huge nerd. So I'm always trying to learn something, read about mm-hmm. something that interests me. And so just being an EMS and being in that, that kind of 
environment, I've been pretty hyper aware of my PTSD. I just was never willing to accept it. Right. So I would I would always kind of read on Reddit or somewhere online, you know, different things that they were trying. And I know that they were doing psychedelic trials, but I also had remembered something about ketamine. I don't, right. I can't, I don't, there's no specific like source that I can, I can, you know. Yeah. You can't point your down. finger to it and yeah, be like, that's to. the moment. But there was just a moment where I had, I had, I had reached uh, a very dark point and I no longer felt safe for my well-being. So I started to look for inpatient somewhere. I didn't know what else to do and everything had come crashing down and I had absolutely no will to, to pick it up and figure it out again. So I just, I, I gave up, so to speak. Right. So at, the, at this point, you're just like, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm just willing to try anything that could help here. Yeah, and like so, I was, I know, like being an EMS, like I know, like I just can't. It's not just like I'm crazy. Commit me. There's, there's an entire process. So like I'm trying to figure out that process for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that's just that's when the, like the ketamine, it just it just popped in my mind. I was like, man, let me look at this. And sure enough, like there was a like there was a place thirty minutes away from me that does it. <laughs> like no way. Yeah. Um, called him up and told him, you know, explained to him, you know, what my situation was, what I needed. And they were like, absolutely. The ketamine treatments, the way that the, the infusions work are that, so the first six have to be, you have to get them within two to three weeks of each other. Okay. And they're expensive as fuck. So just personally where I live, it was, it was about 20, $2,400, if not a little more. Fortunately for me. I, you know, I was able to use a health savings account and those, you know, first six really didn't affect us that much. Mm-hmm. And after my, my first infusion, like I came home and I cried. Wow. Like, well, not immediately. I came home, I took a nap and then I woke up <laughs> and I cried because everything was different immediately. My, my mind is quiet. There's not a constant barrage of what ifs kind of surfacing at random. Like right. it's like a whack-a-mole game. That's like everything's calm. And the only thing, the only thoughts in my head are the ones that I actively think about. And the, the, the not so good ones, you know, the terrible ones, they, they don't, they're not, they can't take root. I'm able to, you know, I can think about them. I can recall them mm-hmm. and then I can set them back and and be completely okay i i was so relieved like i i could cry right now if i if i didn't hold it if i wasn't holding back like i was so relieved by the hope i was given from these treatments and and that's that was just the first one that was i immediately knew that from from that moment on out like my mission was to share the word about ketamine treatment infusions for PTSD, anxiety, and depression, as well as try to help first responders and prior military afford them. And, and with the ketamine, it, it allowed me to realize a lot of things about myself 
and, and accept a lot of terrible, like not terrible things, but just very unpleasant things about myself that my ego wouldn't have allowed for right. me to accept. And and being able to accept those things has made me far, far more successful in my endeavors. Like what can I ask, Rick? What What kind of things have you allowed yourself to accept, if you don't mind me asking? When you experience so many kind of, you know, tragic events or that you, you know, you bear witness to tragedy, you build up a far, far larger than average amount of, of those kind of what if moments because you, you've seen those. Like that's, you have a skewed view of how the world operates because you get exposed to so much. Right. That becomes the normal. That becomes what you expect. And then it creates this kind of hypervigilant version of you where you're always in this like kind of fight or flight mode because you know that the worst possible thing could happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. And then you, you become hyper fixated on that. And, and then you, you can't enjoy life living like that. And I didn't, I didn't realize how, how much my life has been affected and how poor my quality of life was prior to getting those treatments. I don't feel like I've honestly felt real legitimate emotions until until just recently. Do you do you feel like that's kind of been a sort of protective shield almost against this sort of inventory of of what ifs that you've accumulated through the things that you've seen? Exactly. And I've always referred to it as my my ego, the ego that I've built up to protect myself from yeah. the things that you know, won't let me go because I understand that I don't know how to deal with them. I can't not get rid of them. So Mm -hmm. I need to figure out, you know, a defense against them and being this fucking, this cool, you know, water off a duck's back, you know, calm and collected person was, that's who, you know, I was trying to be. And then my sense of humor, like I developed a sense of humor to kind of to help me deal with the things that were too heavy to deal with right yeah it definitely helps if you can if you can find a a mechanism of sorts i I remember reading a quote and i'm just going to completely paraphrase and i may even butcher this from memory because my memory is terrible but it was something along the lines of you can never really truly kill your demons the best thing you can do is tame them you can either feed into them or yeah do you feel like you've stopped doing that? Do you feel like you've stopped feeding? Demons? No, not 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 completely. I okay. I I think that I've got a good grasp on my uh my kind of my mental structure and now I've been trying to figure out and work on, you know, understanding why I do the things that I do and tracing those back. Mm-hmm. And then it's helped me like the ketamine has helped me with with being a a father because prior to the ketamine uh, i i had so much um pent up resentment and just a lot of angst and guilt and so many other different emotions wrapped up in a father because i i had a father but he just wasn't a good one right you know he was a drug addict he had tried to commit suicide a couple of times like in you know not directly in front of me but you know in the bathroom in the house that i'm you know fucking living in so it might as well and just all of the kind of manipulation and emotional kind of 
string pulling that he did kind of that I think that really it really fucked with my you know my sense of what a father was so I didn't like a lot of my references for like you know what a good father is comes from fucking movies or tv shows that I enjoyed growing up like I would you know I would pull traits from like you know this person or this person and I feel like that whenever I said that I didn't know if I was running from something or to something and that that's what I meant and that's why I have such a varied and first kind of existence because I had been searching out mm-hmm. all of the things that I felt I never had. Yeah. Like from my father. So I was kind of trying to, you know, essentially fill that void by, you know, any means necessary. Do you feel that being able to kind of, as you say, go back and look at the building blocks to what has created these parts of you? Do you feel like that has helped you become a better father, being able to kind of go back and and look and see that what you experienced is not what you want to replicate? Oh, absolutely. And so, and prior to that, like it was, it was very emotionally triggering for me to, because I, I am like, you know, the best thing that I am and will ever be is a father. And I, and that's something that I knew as early as probably, you know, six or seven that whenever I was going to be a father, that was going to be what I was going to do. And so now like being a father and being, being able to be, cause I never learned how to be a father, but I knew what I wanted in a father. So I, sure. I just be that. And I'm, that's just what I am. And it, it worked, <laughs> but I felt I had a lot of guilt and a lot of kind of fear because I knew that I was able to provide this for my son, but it's just, I couldn't help but, but continue to replay my same experiences. Because mm-hmm. he's about that age now right? that I was whenever, you know, things started to get pretty bad. But like I said, the ketamine infusions have completely disconnected all of that. And man, it, it's it's awesome because it allows me to i can disconnect myself from you know the adult world and and all of the stress and and all of the things that i have going on personally with what i've been trying to do and just allow myself to exist in his world and exist how he needs me to be i let him kind of dictate a lot of the times how we interact and it's it's just it's wonderful Alright gang, so at this point in the conversation, in a roundabout fashion, me and Rick, we loop back to the topic of art and him throwing himself into this new creative arena, how much he's got from it, this idea of having a mission, a purpose to raise funds and awareness, and yeah, we kind of tap into some of the personality traits that the ketamine therapy has helped him identify, especially this idea of the big picture, which kind of ties into this new creative endeavor. Anyway, rather than tell you any more about it, let's jump right back in. So one of my biggest issues is, is a big, I'm a big, a big picture guy. Mm-hmm. So I get really excited about the big picture and I try to make the big picture without working on any of the details first, because I'm, I'm excited. I don't okay. have focus and I'm all over the place. So I'm not able to. And everything everything falls apart because I hadn't built a foundation. I hadn't put in, you know, I'm just trying to jump to, you know, from step one to step 45. 
and being able to realize that my eagerness isn't necessarily a hindrance as long as I find a way to harness it. Mm-hmm. And so that, and that's kind of one of the things that I've been working on. Things didn't really come together until like late January this year because I had recently, I had gotten a tablet. I had traded my phone in for a tablet and upgraded that way. Okay. So that was like nothing out of pocket, but I was, I had been so focused. I had, you know, I'd been talking to a couple of friends of mine who have already started a 401c nonprofit and they were going to allow me to kind of piggyback off of them with uh, the nonprofit idea that I had called Ketami, which was going to be the, you know, the, the basis for all of the, my ketamine actions that I wanted to do, like to help raise funds for, you know, people to be able to get their ketamine treatments to, um, you know, help raise awareness Mm -hmm. for ketamine and, and all of the, the benefits of it. And so I kind of got into that and I hit a roadblock. So rather than discouraging it and, you know, throwing everything away, I, you know, I realized, you know, this is as far as I can get right now with this. So I, you know, set it on the back burner. But at the same time, I had uh, I'd been so focused on, you know, trying to get, you know, help for, you know, everybody, yeah. <laughs> the people that need it. Like I, I, did, I didn't realize that the health savings had ran out and, you know, I wasn't able to afford my own ketamine treatment. So now here I am in, in the same position that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help with. And that's like, I had my tablet. So it was probably, I think February 6th is when I posted one of my first art pieces. And that night I got an offer for somebody to lease my artwork. I got done. I did a piece for a buddy of mine for uh, a shirt. And then another friend of mine, I did a piece for their podcast. And they were like, yeah, man, it's super cool. And I was like, they're my friends. Of course they like it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would hope that even if they didn't, they would, you know, <laughs> yeah. humor me a little bit. But so now I posted it to Reddit. I did four pieces based off of local urban legends in Kentucky. Okay. And they just kind of, that kind of blew up a little bit. And that's where the first spark that, holy shit, like people are going to pay me to make art. Like, let's see what I can do with this. Let's see where this goes. So I, I just start, you know, just working on art without the intention of selling it, just out of creating it to keep my mind focused and to keep, you know, kind of help with the the ketamine Mm -hmm. dipping below the therapeutic levels and kind of my PTSD symptoms returning. And I got linked up with a couple of, couple of guys on Instagram through a page on that I followed on Facebook that was an level zero. It was like an EMS meme page. And I had over the years, like, I had been, I, I would send him memes and stuff like that. Like, Hey man, check this out. And he would post them. So I was like, Hey, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing some art now. What do you think about this? And so he ended up taking, you know, selling a sticker for me in his shop. And I mean, it sold. And then that led into another guy, uh, black smoke sticker company. Who's another really, really good guy. And that's when I started getting into the commissions. Okay. And that's like, I, they were like, hey, can you draw this for me? You're pretty good at, you know, at drawing. Can you draw something for me? And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. So I told them, I was like, hey, guys, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to raise money for my ketamine treatments. Like, I'm a retired paramedic. I'm doing PTSD treatment. I just got into this art. 
I was like, maybe you guys can, you know, just help share some of my art, you know, like that's what I was thinking. Just mm-hmm. now it's like, I've got, I got so many just overwhelming, like overwhelmingly positive reactions. And it just, it took off faster than I realized. And so mm-hmm. I had to kind of on the back end here, start figuring out what a business is. Right. Like I know, like <laughs> everybody, you know what a business is, but like, what is How it? do I set one up for myself? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but when it comes down to like, holy shit, I've got revenue coming in. I've got work coming in. I've got to figure out how to organize that. So that's been, I think the hardest part for me is. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can get that. Like keeping track of who wants what, when do they want it by how much, how much am I charging? How much do I need to pay out? Yeah. I, I would be rubbish with that. Yeah, I've I've uh I've criminally undersold myself. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a fantastic thing that it's taken off, obviously because you, you this is this is you trying to raise money for something that is making a difference. And I'm presuming the ketamine has, has given you to a degree long term difference in, in in how you are feeling and how you are just being. Yeah, and I have so much more motivation, so much more drive and this understanding of myself and my flaw, like this deep, deep understanding, and it's still only scratching the surface of, of what's wrong with me, but right. it has given me enough to be able to to kind of take control of mm-hmm. the ship again. And yeah, like I said, I, this is probably the most successful I've been at, you know, anything outside of being a paramedic and a father, but, you know. Yeah, but but for for you for yourself outside of being a father, do you feel like this has given you a sense of identity that you kind of maybe lost when you when you lost the the, the paramedic position? I think that it does, and not only do I think that it does give me a sense of identity, but more uh, kind of it gives me a sense of purpose. Yeah, because right now, like the way that I'm looking at it is like I I enjoy my art I love doing art and that's something that is going to I'm going to continue to do for the rest of my life now that's mm-hmm. it's something that that like I don't just do like I will I will take a break from doing commissions to work on my own art because I I do that to relieve stress so yeah. sometimes if I'm stressed out with you know doing a piece or trying to figure out something with work I'll take a break from all of it and I will, I will set everything aside and I'll just, I'll just draw myself for what I want and what I like. I think that's a really important thing to sort of um, put out to people as well is to, to do something for practical reasons, for fiscal reasons is great, especially if it's something you love, but you also need to set aside time to do for yourself. Yeah, man, I came across this thing and I shared it this morning and it was, I guess it's a meme. It was just like a picture, but it, it was, it just said that to be aware of your happiness triggers as well. And that it just hit me real, real, real hard. Yeah. I was like, damn, <laughs> like, that's right. Like there are things in life that trigger my happiness. Absolutely. And you don't have to look at triggers as being a negative. And I love that kind of idea because I, I've always, I always believe that, you can't like yes there are individual moments that are are terrible and and completely life changing like breaking my legs if you just look at that 
under a microscope and you just look at that one moment, yeah, that you can put a negative spin on that. But it's probably one of the best things that that ever happened to me. Yeah, I in, in a weird way, I know what you mean, because it's it's really sort of altered the course of things for you, I guess. That that one, I mean, there's been several other, you know, similar events, but that that one is it's a very, I think, kind of stark contrast to or it's easy to use as, you know, comparison or as an example of a, a something that it changed my life completely. It completely altered my my entire future and path that I that I have you know, I thought that I was on and I had to, to basically pick myself, pick, pick up the pieces and, and figure out what to do with them. But I'm grateful that I, you know, that I was able to pick them up and find the help that I, that I needed to get to where I am. And now my, my life's purpose is to help other people achieve that. And the art for me right now is that's that's my front door. That's what is going to get people to come into the open house and allow me to to talk to them. You know, hey, what do you know about ketamine? What do you know about PTSD? Like, check us out. Check out the other pieces of me that I've been working on my entire life. Like, look how they're coming together. So there you go. That is a fantastic example of turning lemons into lemonade. Yeah, just absolutely grateful that Rick could lend me his time and his insight and just his open, candid honesty. You know, he has, as I said at the top of the show, lived a hell of a life and you kind of got just a glimpse of it there. I'm really pleased that things are moving forward for him, that he has found this seismic paradigm shift in his life and that his trajectory is going in a more positive way. Yeah. And, you know, I I love the fact that he's really plugging away and digging into the artwork. The man just, you know, he works nonstop, it seems. You can see his artwork if you go check him out on Instagram. You can find him at 5011 underscore media. There will, of course, be a link in the show notes, both to his Instagram profile and to his Shopify store as well. So, yeah, you can go and check out what he's doing, support the good work that he's creating, and just follow his journey in general. You know, continue to see him move onwards and upwards. So, for next week's episode, we're kind of linking it to this to a degree. So, we talked about the ketamine infusion therapy that Rick's had, and we talked about the benefits that he has felt, like the immediate benefits and the long-term benefits. Next week, we're going to be looking at a somewhat related field. We're going to be taking a look at Timothy Leary, the man and his work. Timothy Leary, for those who don't know, is a scientist and a author who is most known for his work with psychedelics, experiments with psychedelics, looking at the therapeutic benefits of psychedelic drugs. Once described by Richard Nixon as the most dangerous man in America. I mean, that alone is, is worthy of an investigation just yeah, just by itself. But his work with, as I say, psychedelics and looking at the therapeutic effects and benefits of it 
just deeply, deeply fascinating stuff. And you're seeing more of it now. You are seeing more and more people tap into the, the field that he was really a pioneer for. So yeah, next week we're going to be taking a little look at him, the man himself, but more so the work that he actually conducted with a few sort of spotlighted sections on particular uh, pieces of work and experiments. But that is next week. As for this week, we're pretty much done. As usual, I will prompt you to go and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. Perhaps you were just joining us, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, then the best way you can keep that good feeling going, and you can also help us out simultaneously, is to simply hit that subscribe button. I say hit. We like to say just gently tap. We like to say boop, actually. Yeah, if you want to boop your subscription button. Never stop sounding ridiculous, but yeah, go for it. Boop that subscription button. That shows us a great amount of love and support. And you also get every episode delivered to a device of your choosing. We also do encourage ratings and reviews, in particular, haiku reviews. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for haiku reviews, keeping it to the traditional haiku formats and saying nice things about this show. If, of course, you want to keep your feedback to a more streamlined and direct approach, you can do that. You can get in touch with me on Twitter and Instagram at IamMalFoster. Links down in the show notes there. If you go take a look, you can also find links to our Dimed Out Patreon account where you can find extra material, bonus episodes, access to our Discord channel. Yeah, these are just some of the perks of becoming a certified dimer on our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash dimed out, or as I say, down in the show notes there as well. There's another one in there as well for our coffee page. If you want to take a look at that, you can do. You don't have to, but it's there. It's always good to have options, right? Everybody loves options. Speaking of which, you can listen to every episode of this show that we've ever put out over on YouTube, because we do have one of those, one of them, their YouTube channels. We've got one of them. You can go take a look if you want. We also have a Facebook page as well. So if you're looking to procrastinate even more, then I highly recommend those two as viable gold mines for procrastination. Send me your cat pics on Facebook. That's what I want. I want cat pics. I want memes. I want gifts. I want it all. And on that note, as always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. And until next time, keep it dimed out. Thank you.